Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I was joined by Chris Tusa. Percussionist Chris joined the Wuhan Philharmonic as principal timpanist in March 2013. He's performed with numerous orchestras, including the Southwest Florida Philharmonic, Palm Beach Pops Orchestra, and the Breckenridge Music Festival. Chris is currently in New Jersey and patiently waiting on his return to Wuhan, China, hopefully in the next few weeks. Chris and I talk over how he started out in marching bands in high school, moving to the Lynn Conservatory in Florida, and subsequently falling in love with the timpani. We also delve into how Chris has played to diverse crowds in Florida, with Pops orchestras and with Jay-Z and LMFAO in Vegas, and with his own band in Wuhan, the Freedom Searchers. Chris also talks us through how Wuhan has become a hub for major orchestras, as well as his own. We get into what part the timpani plays in the orchestra and what Chrissy's role as the principal timpanist entails, and you'd be surprised how much you can pay for a set of them. Or maybe not. There's chat about the complexities of playing movie scores, advice on how to get started out in classical music if you're new to it, the pros and cons of orchestra life and Chrissy's own project, expatdrummer.com. More of that in the episode. All this and why the end of Beethoven's 7th Symphony is really just rock and roll. Without further ado, Chris Tusser. Well, when I was working on my doctorate in, uh, at UNLV, that's University of Nevada, Las Vegas, the violin teacher there was friends with the music director, the conductor at the Wuhan Philharmonic. And they, she, he was visiting her for, for the summer. And she and he was mentioning that he needed a, a timpanist. She recommended me, and the two professors I had recommended me also. So I met with him like two or three days later, played for him for like an hour, and then he invited me out for a week. So they flew me out to Wuhan like in November, so that's like three months later, for an audition, like a trial with the orchestra, see how I fit in. And that was in 2012. So I've been there since 2013. And you, your background before that, how did you get into to music in the first place? You come from a musical family? Or? On my dad's side, uh, his parents were both musicians, like proper musicians. They both studied at Peabody uh, Conservatory down in Baltimore, where I'm from. And I, uh, my first teacher was my grandmother. She taught me how to play piano first few years. And then when I was in high school, I broke my leg. And because they were like, what do, I, what do we do with you for marching band? <laughs> and I said, well, you can play marimba, so you can play piano, so you can play xylophone, you can play marimba. And that's really how I got into percussion. Then I started playing, then I got really big in the drum corps and marching band. Like, that was all I wanted to do. I, I was a band geek, 100%. Really, my goal was just to be like a, like a high school band director. That's, that was my, what I wanted to do. And then when I went to undergrad, it was a performance school, Lynn Conservatory down in Florida. And that's a really orchestral heavy scene or that's a big, that's an orchestral school. That's really what it is. And that's when I really fell in love with playing timpani. And that's all I wanted to do after that. So everything from there was just like getting to this timpani job. And that led me to play timpani in Wuhan for the past seven or eight years. Like a duck to water, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, it was, 
it, it just it fit like a glove, right? I'm trying to not yeah, get into the land of yeah. cliche now, but it, you you found it and it found you, and then it was that was it. It was like perfect. Absolutely, match. yeah. Even um the sound of timpani that that's what really speaks to me. That the resonance of it, it's it's just like this deep like feeling in your gut. So I just that I fell in love with that. At the same time as you were studying, like more in, in a formal way, were you? playing on the side as it were were you you know joining bands and when i was down in florida i was doing um all these like side gigs playing with pickup orchestras so that would be um could be beethoven one week could be a pops concert the next week and really where where i made my money in my mark down south florida was playing in pops orchestras and a lot of that had to do with playing um bass drum and cymbal attachment that's where the cymbals on top of the bass drum you're playing these like oompa oompa things like on these marches if you can hire one person instead of two people you're gonna hire the one guy <laughs> so i got really good at that so playing all those sorts of weird things in south florida uh latin music is really really popular bongos congas claves all those things that if you don't know how to play them it's gonna sound really really bad and you're gonna get you're gonna have people giving you the side eye <laughs> <laughs> so so i got really good at being able to play these like basic uh grooves Really, um, like really getting good at like laying down clave rhythms and playing a bongo and conga. Now, I'm not great at those instruments. I'm not, I'm not going to say that, but I can hang with people and not get kicked <laughs> out. <laughs> so, but you can hold your own. I can hold my own. All those things that I didn't think I was going to really need, like playing Latin rhythms, playing in like a samba band or something. I've taken those into my job where, we've, where we'll play a concert that has like a heavy Brazilian influence. And you need to know how to play these instruments. So it's all about like picking up these little things as you go. You're never going to master everything, but you can become semi-proficient at it or at least be able to fake it. When I was in Vegas, that's where I played all sorts of really strange, strange gigs like taiko drumming. Um, I played with Jay-Z, Red Foo from uh, LMFAO. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that band. Um, so all sorts of weird side projects, projects would come up. So I ended up playing marching bass drum again with Jay-Z. <laughs> so that was pretty, that was pretty weird. I guess you've, uh, you've covered a lot of bases, uh, formally, informally, had a good time as well. And now when I'm in Wuhan, in addition to playing the orchestra, Wuhan Philharmonic is my, that's my job. Um, I've been there so long that I, I hooked up with a lot of people in the, um, in the band scene in Wuhan. So I'm in a band called the Freedom Searchers. The uh, lead singers from Tonga, which is um, like off the coast of New Zealand, and I know it from the rugby. You know, they're they're yeah, absolutely quite a, quite a big rugby nation as well. But it... Tonga, um, there's me. There was there's one guy from Madagascar, and then a few local from Wuhan. We've gotten a pretty decent little following in Wuhan when when we're together. We're putting together really good crowds. Um, that's besides uh, playing in the orchestra. That's really the most of my playing there. How are the audiences in, in China? Like you, you uh, play, you've played to a lot of crowds, I imagine, whether it's been in the US or, or, or in China. What would you say is the big differences? A lot of people are so curious about, you know, whether you're taking rock and roll to them or a, a more classical. Well, let's talk about the classical for a second. Down in Florida, it's the classical scene. Uh, the audience is much, much older. It's definitely an older audience. And then when I moved to China, first thing I noticed was everybody's so much younger. They're 35, 40 years old. There's kids in in America. You would never bring a five year old to a concert, but there, there's they're bringing like borderline like infants. You could you know turn your nose up at it and say no kids aren't allowed to come. But you know the audience is relatively full. Like this, you know the seats are filled, and getting these kids into playing or listening to orchestral music at an early age. That's like a 
that's a huge, huge step. So the audience is younger. It's a little bit more um, novice. People haven't gone to an orchestral concert before because my orchestra is only about 15 years old. So in the city of Wuhan, we've only had like a proper philharmonic since like maybe 2015, 2012, something like that. So the audience is still, the city is still learning how to- um, How it all works. Yeah, how to take, like, what is a concert? Do I not clap? Do I clap? You know, um, I think the last thing you want to do is shush somebody for clapping in a concert. Now, like in Beethoven, of course, like, you know, there's a Beethoven symphony can be about an hour long. And that's a long time to not make any noise for people. For me, even like if I was playing drums, I'd be worried that I would just knock something over. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you shush that person, they get turned off like instantly. So the audience is learning uh, with the orchestra. We're learning too how to play with the audience. And I think um, over the past seven or eight years, the audience has matured as the orchestra has. So it's, it's been interesting to see the, the uh, audience develop over the years. What I find really interesting is like, I never know what concert is going to pop with the audience. When we play Sibelius or a Mahler symphony, those are pieces that I love. I mean, they're just like, they are, that's like, that's classical music for me. That's what I want to play. And that doesn't necessarily resonate with, with the people because maybe it's a little too confusing. Maybe it's a little strange. They don't really know what to do. But a Schubert symphony, which I'm not going to get too excited over, they love it. They, they can understand it. It's really easy to consume that, like the earlier classical music. So when we get later, like in the 20th century repertoire, maybe the audience, it's a little bit more difficult to, to appreciate that music at, you know, because they're just a little confused. And not everyone. I mean, when we play, we played Mahler Symphony 5 last year, I think. And everyone went nuts because it's a, it's, a, it's a rager of a piece. If you haven't listened to Mahler, Mahler Symphony 5 is kind of a really, really good place to start. So it's really interesting to see where people's tastes lie. Uh, there many orchestras come through Wuhan? At the moment, no. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's why I didn't finish my question because I thought, that's a, that's a stupid question. There's nothing oh, really? um, this year. Yeah, uh, and I saw, I've seen that grow too, where when I first moved to Wuhan, like maybe four or five big orchestras or kind of medium tier orchestras would come through the city. And since since I've been there, Berlin Philharmonic came through. And the, uh, Berlin Philharmonic's like the top, really like one of the biggest orchestras in the world. Cleveland um, Orchestra came through. That's That's a huge thing for Wuhan. Um, London Symphony would come like every other year. BBC Philharmonic, Dresden Staatskapelle, like really big, huge orchestras are, were coming through China and they were using Wuhan as one of the stops. So that was, um, that was really cool to see Wuhan as a city develop. Wuhan mm-hmm. recently became a first tier city, which is, and the, for those who don't know, um, oh, I'm sure you've heard about Wuhan on the news at this, by this point, but there's 11 or 12 million people in that city. It's a big city, and most people prior to January probably haven't heard of it. Yeah, there's cities in China with 20 million people and and stuff. (laughs) There's a lot of people there. My my wife jokes that uh, she's from a small city, and that's, I think, 8 million people. Yeah, right. (laughs) Small city. (laughs) And you're a big city if you have Starbucks. Okay. Starbucks. (laughs) That's that's I didn't know that, but that's how it works. Okay. Could you tell us about the timpani and what your part is in the orchestra and what you what you're responsible for? Yeah, so my 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 title is um, principal timpani of the Wuhan Philharmonic. So I'm the chief 
timpanist. Uh, sometimes that's called chief, sometimes it's called solo, sometimes it's called principal. It's all the same thing. And I also take care of the um, percussion section. So I'm also the principal percussionist. But, but I usually don't play percussion in the orchestra unless we have like um, a big pops concert where there's a lot of drum set or maybe there's um, like a heavy Latin section of the concert. Then maybe I'll slide over and play. Like if it's West Side Story, I'll go over and play drum set for that. So for the timpani, um, for those who don't know, it's usually two to four drums you're going to play. They start off like 32 inches all the way up to 23 usually. And they can get bigger or smaller, but those are your standard drums. And you're going you're gonna to hear that from, um, it's written everywhere from like Haydn and Mozart to Beethoven all the way through um, 20th century. And usually there's timpani on every piece of music. Like it's very rare that I get a, a concert off or even if I get like one piece off on a concert, that's very rare. For those who don't know what timpani is, if you listen to the beginning of uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, that's the bum, 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 bum. That is timpani. Haven't heard that instrument or don't know what that instrument is. That's a good reference point. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe for those who do know, I, I might be mistaken here, but if I'm, I think I'm right. John Bonham played one to his, to his side. If you see a lot of these old stock pictures of, uh, of him playing, that he had yeah. a timpani. Yeah, I think he had a timpani. I think I saw Neil, I'm going to say his name wrong again, the Neil Parrott. I think he had a timpani laying around somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> the massive drum kit somewhere. It, was there, like, yeah, it, it, could, it could be hiding around somewhere, like underneath the mallet cat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the timpani is a pitched instrument. Some people say it's not. Some people say it is. I say it is. You can, you can tune notes to it, and if it's not the right note, you're going to be able to tell. And the timpani kind of... They usually, it, like in earlier music with like Beethoven, you're essentially like an extra trumpet player, like a low trumpet, where you're playing these rhythms like dun da da dun dun dum And then when you get into later music, uh, like Tchaikovsky, Brahms, Wagner, uh, the timpani becomes more like deep and low and lush. So really the timpani has a wide range of sounds that, that it can get. So that's, that's really where I fit into the orchestra. There's, there's, a, there's kind of a silly term used about timpani that it's the second conductor where the orchestra, the timpani can really lead from the back and really push the direction of a piece. It can make it drag, can make it go forward, give a little bit more energy. So it's really important for me to be really well connected with the conductor. So my eyes are, I'm right in front of the conductor, but I'm really high up. So everybody in the audience can see me and the conductor can see me. So if he needs something, he's going to look at me and we're going to push it a little bit more. We're going to pull it back. We're going to make, we can make adjustments on the fly. I think that's what a timpanist is. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's a great description. The timpani can like, especially because the way that the instrument is like, even if on, on drum set, if you have somebody just slamming really aggressively on the kit, it might not sound very good and it's, everything's going to be a little off. And it's the same thing with a timpani where if you're just hitting it really hard, you're getting a really crass sound that's gonna, you know, it's, it's not gonna sound pleasant. It comes more with like maturity and just playing longer that you can get these really good sounds out of it. So you can play really loud and nobody's gonna back you off. The conductor's not gonna give you the hand telling you to play softer as long as you're making these great sounds. They're gonna want more of that stuff. So it's always great when you're playing a rehearsal or a concert where the conductor doesn't bother you at all. That means everything's going great. <laughs> This is this is less is more sign, right? You're like, okay, keep Absolutely. it up. I, I have a, a question for you, Crystal. How much would you pay for a timpani? I'm not in the market for one at this present time, but you know, if someone was, what? No, that's a great question. 
It, it varies. So I recently just bought some timpani. Um, I've been playing timpani for almost 20 years and I just finally bought my own drums because for years and years and years, like forever, I would always have timpani at school or at the orchestra I'm playing at. The drums I bought are these old Ludwig crank drums that are great for playing Mozart or Beethoven. I bought these really cheap for only, I think the pair was $500. And then I put some work into it. So let's say $1,000 for a pair of drums. And that's like on the very, very, very cheap end. For a set of four decent drums you can teach and play on, I would say around seven or $8,000. And then the drums that I play on in the orchestra, those are about $40,000. Wow. Yeah. So they do, uh, and they can go higher. I personally wouldn't pay more than 30 for, for a set of drums. That's the four timpani, but that's just me. <laughs> so. <laughs> that, yeah. You got, you got me stumped there. I was like, wow, that's uh cause you know, you know, you have an inkling for orchestral things or instruments of this nature. And of course I think people are more, familiar with violins going for more money or violas or whatever it is, but they never really think of the other stuff, you know? No, the, um, in fact, when a few years ago, my orchestra, we got a big grant to buy a ton of new instruments, like new strings, new, um, a lot of new percussion, brass, like all sorts of stuff. The markup rate in China was, it's criminal how expensive those, the drums are. I'm not going to say exactly what it was because I'm not a hundred percent sure, but mm. it was at least double what it was, what you would pay in America or the UK for for these drums ouch and like it's really like wow that's that's a lot and like yeah import tax like okay <laughs> yes yeah. they, they have the same the same in south korea you pay a lot on the import tax i mean even just regular instruments uh, mm -hmm. a fender guitar or whatever or gibson or something or ludwig drums you're going to pay a kind of bit of a premium for it as well a premium yeah, on top of the premium whenever i go home visit my family and go back to china i have like a laundry list of things that people want me to get for them and at some point I had to say, listen, I just can't bring that guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have, don't have the room to bring back four or five guitars. No. Um, yeah, they, they might start asking some questions at the airport as well, you know. Probably not. No, I, I've, <laughs> I've brought back quite a few symbols and things, and they, ha they haven't really said anything. But, yeah, at some point um, they might ask me to play the guitar, and I can't do that. So. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Symbols, that's a nice segue. We were going to talk right. about Wuhan and what it's famous for, other than your good self and your orchestra. What, what are the, and Starbucks, what are the other joys that Wuhan is known for? Uh, you might see Wuhan um, on cymbals or gongs. Really gongs have, I mean, gongs come from all over the place, but the Wuhan gongs are the, uh, or tam-tams, are like, like that is what you would see in any orchestra. That's, that's what you're going to see behind John Bonham. Uh, when you watch Queen or something, there's going to be a gong right behind them. And those are usually from Wuhan. And there's all sorts of different types of gongs. It's just not just not one. There's there's wind gongs, which are really thin. There's these Chinese opera gongs, which are really high pitched, like twang 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 twang. Then there's um, then there's regular gongs or orchestral gong called a chow gong, and that's really where um, I started collecting a lot of chow gongs over the years. And I'll bring back one or two with me every time I come back. Whenever I can, I'll go to the factories. Um, there's one in particular that I'll go to. It's called Wuhan Gongs. And I'll see them make these gongs. It's really, it's incredible to watch them make these gongs from really just melting down these metals to putting them in molds, to hammering them out, and then fine-tuning them. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. And how long has Wuhan been the, the center of, of gongs? I don't actually know. I don't, you know what? I'm not sure either. But um, that since they've been, I know 
there's um i'm gonna forget his name off the top of my head and i'll remember it later and i'll just scream it um <laughs> there's this guy he's he's based in germany i can't remember his name uh save my life right now but he's he's been importing gongs from china from wuhan for 40 or 50 years and he's really um like he sells them to steve weiss and steve weiss is like the big percussion dealer in the states they're kind of like the uh, the Toman of percussion. It's really bothering me. I can't remember his name. But, <laughs> but um, so I've met him and his son-in-law who's taken over the business over the past few years. And they really buy, they'll go there and they will buy a truckload or a container just full of gongs and then bring them back to Germany or, or send them to Philadelphia to be sold in, in America. It's so just for on the international scene, at least 50 years, I think, since uh, 1970. As a hub itself, the Wuhan, the actual the process or the the art of making gongs there it's been there several hundred years or more i would say a few hundred years but there's uh, there's these giant bells like like people-sized bells they're they're massive called bianjong they've been around since they've been around for 2000 years like the uh, like a diatonic scale so like a chromatic scale of these giant gongs they've been around for thousands of years now and i think in the 90s or 80s they um they, like some people were digging up something to build like a metro system or you know something and they found like this tomb and in that tomb were these like gongs like perfectly preserved uh sorry not gongs uh bells perfectly preserved there and it's it's incredible art of making these kind of instruments these metal instruments have been there for thousands of years so my, my orchestra has been playing since july and most orchestras in China have started, started up about around that time, July, August. And now they're back to playing full concerts. Although they're back to work, it's still been slow to get the foreigners back into China. So a fr uh, friends of mine from Italy, Bulgaria, UK, um, Philippines, they've been able to get back in about a month or so ago. And just being from America, it's making a little trickier right now. But my, uh, my human resource guy, my visa guy, he's been working pretty hard trying to get me and the, um, another horn player back into China. Hope, hopefully the visa gets cleared in the next week or so and then start the whole process. And then when I get to China, I'm going to have to do a two-week quarantine in a hotel. That should be fun. <laughs> so, mm, yeah. um, but I've had so many people, so many friends do that over the past few months that it's a pretty streamlined process. It's painless. You, know, you just sit in a hotel for two weeks. Make sure you have good Wi-Fi or your Netflix is charged up or whatever you need to get you through it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I might. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to have to read all these books that I've said I've read over the past <laughs> few years. <laughs> uh, what are the orchestra working on at the moment then since you are out of town? Yeah, so when they, well, when they first started in July, they started doing small chamber concerts. So maybe four or five people with no audience. Um, it was all live streamed. And then slow, slowly um, they started adding more musicians until they got to really like August when they could start having full orchestral concerts. Our orchestra has about 85 to 100 people depending on the piece we're playing. Like, so like Mozart would probably have 60 something and then a big, really big piece would have about 80. And then a huge piece would be, you know, we've had 120 people on the stage before, um, you know, with singers and whatnot. So um, they're back to playing for, I believe it's third capacity. It might be half capacity at this point. And our hall seats, I think 1600 people. Yeah, so they started size, off. Uh, yeah, it's, no, it's a good size hall. And um, 
Um, and that counts the seats behind us. Sometimes we don't sell those that, and that's also where the, the chorus would go when we have singers and things like that. So now they just, they just finished the tour to Beijing. They, they premiered this new piece for, um, it was something about, it was something to do with the virus and coming through stronger or something like that. <laughs> Some really, you know, big piece. Topical. <laughs> it was topical. I don't, I don't know what the shelf life of that piece is going to be, but uh, <laughs> hopefully so, not too long. Hopefully not. So they just finished um, a Beethoven festival because this is Beethoven's 250th birthday. Indeed, yeah. So, yes, that was a big year. And I was really looking forward to that because Beethoven really is um, like a timpani. That's like timpani drum set right there. It's really just, it's like uh, the end of Beethoven's Symphony 7 is really just rock and roll. It's just, it's in 2-4. It just goes straight down and you're just, you're laying, it down, laying down the beat. Yeah, now they, they're back to playing full concerts. Concerts can be, they're usually classical concerts. We do about a hundred concerts a season and that could be full orchestral. That could be chamber. Those could be like small outreach concerts, like go out in the community, play something. We do some pops concerts, a lot of movie concerts. Those are really, really popular. So we'll play to um, play music to star Wars or um, Jurassic park, uh, things like that. And th- that really brings, uh, brings in the crowd. Like that uh, John Williams and yeah, that Hans Zimmer or, if if you ask any any musician what the hardest music they that to play is, they're probably going to say John Williams movie scores. It's so fast, it's so difficult. The first time we played uh, the John Williams, the first time we did a John Williams movie concert, I think I had to use six or seven timpani, which is a lot. And then over the years, we played that program quite often. I've gotten back down to four because <laughs> I've just gotten so comfortable with it. But movie concerts are beyond difficult. Whenever you see yeah, you can watch um, like YouTube videos of uh, people recording the scores. And the timpanist will have like twelve timpani all around him, like set up like a like a xylophone because <laughs> it's the notes are just flying by. That must be quite, you know, difficult to to read and to to play that at the same time. Then it yeah. takes a lot of practice. It takes practice. You have to get used to it. So I've gotten to the with those movie scores. I've gotten not memorized, but I know exactly what I'm doing. I've got this flow. I, I know what I'm going to do. The, we did. They did a movie concert like about a month or two ago, and um, the girl subbing for me, uh, one of the percussionists, she she was playing timpani when I'm not there. She messaged me like in the middle of the night, like this is so hard. I didn't know. She thought like, <laughs> she thought it was a cakewalk for me or something. She's like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Just oh, there's a few. Yeah, there's a few of them where. After you play it, it's like wow, that was that was like running a marathon. <laughs> a real workout. Yeah, it, I meant to ask you, Chris. Is there any advice that you would give uh, to someone who's wanting to get into classical music? You know, is there a particular way to start? Just as we talk about the movie scores, I think if you want to get into classical music, you have to find something you like. Just don't start with Mozart because that's where you're told to start with. If you're listening to, if you're watching a movie and that music sounds really cool, like you're if you're watching Up. And wow, this music sounds great. And then look up that composer. Um, I'm going to say his name wrong. It's Michael Gia, Giacano. And then you're going to see, oh, well, let's see what other music he wrote. See who influenced him. And then you're going to find those bridges. I think the, the key to liking or getting into classical music is you have to enjoy it. And you have to listen to it. Because if you're going to, if you want to play it, you're going to be listening to a lot of classical music <laughs> for the next few years, <laughs> next uh, 40, 50 years. Find the music you enjoy and don't, just because it's not classical doesn't mean you can't play or listen to it or enjoy it. I listen to more funk and James Brown than I do Beethoven. <laughs> and that's, you know, 
Um, I guess they're, they're kind of kindred spirits, though, really. Yeah, absolutely. Three <laughs> Bs, uh, Bach, Beethoven, Brown. <laughs> so, but really, um, yeah. No, really, just be, you don't have to only listen to classical music. You can just broaden your horizons. And I think that's really, there's so much music out there. Even saying classical music, that's just pigeonholing it to really like 20, 30 years of time. There's a lot of music out there. And so don't discredit movie scores, don't discredit ballets and stuff, or ballet is classical music, but there's a lot of stuff out there that you know, you could, you're you gonna enjoy. Yeah, um, yeah, you have to find what what speaks to you. And if you don't like that music, then you don't like that music. And that's that's fine, you don't have to like everything. Yeah, um, I mean, every, everything's so accessible today anyway, through YouTube, if, nothing, if you don't have Spotify or any kind of streaming service, you can just go look it up on YouTube and they have everything and more. Yeah, um, I would suggest somebody go on to Berlin Phil's, the Berlin Philharmonic's website. And they have something called a digital concert hall. And they have I mean, a lot of concerts and interviews and just these segments available to watch for free. Some, some of it you have to pay for, a lot of it you have to pay for actually, but a, a lot of the free stuff is what's gonna get you excited. There's, um, there's interviews with like horn players or the timpanists, the conductors, sometimes composers, if they're still around. If you have a connection to a piece of music, you're going to enjoy it more than going in just blind. Second last question for you. Pros and cons of orchestra life. Pros are the concerts. The concerts are incredible. Um, you're going to have 900, maybe 2,000 people at a concert. And it's, it's a team. It's 80 people, maybe 100 people on that stage all working together and there's an energy that comes from from playing these big concerts i mean when when i play opera i'll have chills when i play certain pieces it really it just i'm looking around i can't believe i'm doing this and i get paid to play music the cons are rehearsals and practice those those hour those two hour long concerts they start in the practice room so you got to be by yourself and you have to go to the woodshed and really hit these, you know, you got, you got to be perfect. Because if it's not synced up right, it's going to sound terrible and, you know, your week's going to be rough. And we rehearse a lot. We'll do five, six, maybe 10 rehearsals for a big piece. And then you play it and then it's gone and then you start the week over. Next week, brand new piece, brand new program, everything's different and, and you have to build to that, that concert. So really the cons are the amount of work you have to put in to get to the concert. But then the concert's the payoff. So it's really, so really the cons are, it's a lot of work. There's no, there's really no shortcuts. And yeah, every big, every time I play a new piece of music or even a piece I've played before, it's, it's work. I have to put in time and effort to get to the stage. Talk, tell us a little bit the band. Uh, I mean, a little more, where, where do you play? What do you play? I mean, what kind of styles do you play? What are the, what are the crowds like? So the, um, the band I play in in Wuhan is called the Freedom Searchers. And I don't think we have a little bit of stuff on Facebook, but really it's all on WeChat. So we're, uh, we're a band. It's, I believe it's four guys now. Yeah, we lost our keyboard player. Uh, he just moved back to Madagascar. We didn't like lose him, lose him. So we play a lot of blues, funk, and reggae. The lead singer is, um, he's from Tonga, and that's an island country. And so reggae is really what speaks to him. So we do a lot of reggae type music. Um, and so we'll do a lot of his originals. So it really is his band. And 
um, me and the bass player, we were both in our, in the orchestra. So that's kind of, that's our side gig, but, um, we spent a lot more time working on that than other things. <laughs> we would play in, there's like, there's a bunch of different smaller venues in, in Wuhan. And then there's a few medium size. So we usually play in like these hundred, 150 people, uh, bars or venues. And it's always a really good turnout because there is a pretty big expat scene in Wuhan. So when there's an expat band playing, usually people uh, flock out to check out what's going on. And what's cool is one place that we would play at was really right down the street from my concert hall. So I play a concert in my tux, change <laughs> out, change out of my gear and run down to the run down to the bar and you know, play set by 10 o'clock. <laughs> so those those were really cool nights. That's a double shift right there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> By the time I'm sure you get to the bar, though, you're ready to go. You're just you're kind of Absolutely. full of beans. <laughs> in, in Wuhan, there's like a big blues scene. Like a lot of, uh, there's a lot of blues players. In Wuhan, there's, um, there's one of the Cirque du Soleil shows. Uh, it's called the Han Show. So these, there's these incredible players like that. They play like five, six nights a week, and then they go to the bars after and just jam <laughs> so you go out and there's like these like great jams jam bands going on all over the place yeah, but fantastic yeah. that sounds like something i i, I kind of missed that from from my time in south korea but yeah we've moved on to other things so so not not to make you feel bad or anything you know it's uh... when um when i when i joined the band so like for the first year i was just like i took over for somebody else so i was just like playing the charts and then then it kind of turned to me and the lead singer doing more stuff and then um so we start playing more songs that i wanted to do or i would i would suggest a song so then we start playing more like we play a few killers tunes now i don't know if the killers are popular in china i don't think they are but uh, everybody seems to like the songs <laughs> so, the first two albums are really good i i went to school very briefly with ronnie Benucci. he like, is i was gonna say he's from vegas or that's where he's yeah okay yeah, yeah very like i met him like three times <laughs> so it's, it's funny how the paths cross and all that stuff. And you're like, yeah, I remember that guy. I'm sure he says the same about you, Chris. I doubt, no, no, he was already uh, like deep into the killer. He was like five or six albums in at that point. So, wow. Like he, like he was just coming back for his, I don't even know why he was there, but he was getting his master's or something. Your social media presence and your own project, Chris, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you can find me on all the normal places on Facebook and Instagram. What I've done, I spent a lot of time on is my website expatdrummer.com that's e-x-p-a-t drummer.com and it started off really just as me um wanting to like talk to friends and like-minded people that have that were in america or the uk or somewhere in europe and really went to asia that's really where i started off doing these interviews and then it then it kind of took on this new life where it was um, I'm doing articles about what I'm doing uh, you know fixing instruments doing things uh, going to gong factories um, which I don't believe I've actually posted that article I, I need to in January obviously when when COVID all started I started doing these interviews called um, what to do during a quarantine which I immediately regret that title because <laughs> it really <laughs> kind of pigeonholed it but it's it originally was going to start off as it was just going to be a one-off article, one-off post, asking four or five people the same questions. Like, you know, what are you doing to keep your hands moving? What are you doing for this? What do you suggest for students to do that don't have access to instruments? Because so many people were in school and then they're told to go home and then you lose your vibraphone and xylophone and timpani and drum set. And what do you do? 
I realized each one of those answers that I got from all those people were long enough to do their own, own post on. So I think I did about 15 or 20 of them. And at some point it got really boring asking the same five or six questions to like orchestral musicians, orchestral percussionists. It got pretty boring. So then I started reaching out towards people that work in different aspects of the industry, like Jeff Mulville and um, who's like product relation guy in for Majestic, Majestic Percussion, which is getting pretty popular in the States. I'm not sure about how it is in the UK. And then I talked to some orchestral managers and really I started spreading out and I'm going to start doing regular interviews again because enough people have started getting back to work. So the orchestras are doing some kind of work at this point. So you can find me at expatdrummer.com and find a lot of information about things like that. And hopefully in the next few weeks, I'm going to be able to change it to what I'm doing during my own little two week quarantine in Wuhan. Hopefully I'm getting back. So I'll make sure I um, uh, have update like daily updates about how that's going. And you do it in the written format mostly, or do you mix the, the medium? Yeah, uh, I just do it written. So I, I would, I'll do it like, a zoom call or a Facebook call and then I will record it then I'll taper it down so I'll take like an hour-long chat and then I'll try to pare it down to about like a two-page like a quick like five ten minute read at the most um, and that seems to work the best I always get asked if it is audio or visual and I should do at least one of those <laughs> at some point so um but being in China uh, for the most part it was uh, a little difficult there would be laggy Maybe the sound's not great or something. So I didn't want to do that then. That's something I'm going to have to look at in the future about doing different uh, mediums. Out with the kind of quarantine stuff that you might be doing in the next few weeks, hopefully. Who else do you have lined up uh, for interview-wise? <clears throat> My next thing, uh, I'm going to start talking to, I'm going to start talking to people whose orchestras have gotten back to work, which there's been a few. Um, there's a friend of mine at Juilliard. She works in the library. I think I'm going to talk to her about doing, doing an interview about how the start of the school year is going. I'm going to start talking to people that have already started playing. Um, a friend of mine in Houston, I think I'm going to have him on the line for about how the concerts are going. If you look at uh, a normal percussion section, usually they're pretty tight. Like they're, they're physically close together because they're sharing instruments. And you look at the pictures now, they're very spread out. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to talk to those guys about how that's working out. So hopefully... In the next few weeks, I'll talk to um, Lisa Dempsey in um, Juilliard and then Matt Strauss in Houston. And I haven't asked them yet. So hopefully they say yes before <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they will say yes. <laughs> yeah, so I started talking to like-minded people at first and then I started branching off and really I got such a positive response for it. And um, it got to the point where people were asking if um, they could do one. And that was, that was great when I didn't have to search out for people so much. No, it's nice when they come knocking on your door. Absolutely. <laughs> like I did to you, so thanks very much. <laughs> no, no, appreciate it. This, is, this has been great. The website is, once more? The website is expatdrummer.com. That's E-X-P-A-T drummer.com. And it's a timpanist life in Wuhan. It's a timpanist life in Wuhan. And um, hopefully I, I start updating this a little bit more. When I do play concerts, I have that, I have that constantly updated with what's coming up next, which is usually quite busy. Usually we're playing like four or five, six concerts a month, and then I have other things going on. So I try to keep that up to date. But of course, right now, there's been uh, very few concerts on the books for, for Chris here. <laughs> so. 
You can follow Can't Find My Way Home on anchor.fm. Simply search for Can't Find My Way Home. On Instagram at can't.findmywayhome. On Facebook at Expat Music Pod. Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And wherever you get your podcasts from, I'm pretty sure you'll find us there too. Until the next one, this is Craig saying cheers. <laughs>